This world is full of idols. Well, nowadays we're not talking about idols like in ancient times they had carved uh, statues that they fell down and worshipped, uh, gods that they offered sacrifice to. No, the idols of today are people. They may be star athletes, so accomplished in their skills and in what they do. There might be movie stars that thrill us as we watch them act and portray different things. Singers who play to or sing to sold-out stadiums, amazing voice that they have. Well, these idols might be uh, financial experts that seem to be a whiz at picking out the right things to invest in. Or even entrepreneurs who seem to be able to invent things and get richer and richer. And people feel, now, if I could just do what they do, imitate them, then maybe I can have a wonderful, successful life like they do, uh, I could get many friends. I could get an attractive, sexy spouse. I could uh, you know, buy anything I want. I could travel wherever I want. It would, my life would be made, you would think. Of course, we look at, you know, not these ones in specific, but are their lives always that happy? We read stories of finding them dead in their hotel room, overdosed, committed suicide in some ways. This doesn't give happiness, does it? Because, uh, you know, when you think about it, the, all these things that people want to accomplish by following these idols is things to serve them. This is for me, not for other people. Now, Paul talks about following the example of other people, but he's talking about a whole different kind of people for a whole different reason. He invites people to follow his example, an example of other people that, that live like him. And this can be good for us to consider because this is what can help us to overcome temptation, to look to the example, uh, examples of faith around us. We're considering a reading from Philippians, Paul's letter to the Christian church in Philippi, and we're kind of starting in the middle of this text. Uh, Paul had outlined, you know, what we think, uh, what we have a prize in heaven. Um, so he says, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so they will be like his glorious body. There is a great and glorious prize laid out for us uh, by Jesus' power. It's a wonderful thing that we're going to become, that he has said that will happen, and it will be ours forever. But the fact of the matter is, 
we aren't there yet. We eagerly await a Savior from there, but we aren't there yet. Perhaps you could compare this to when you go to college or take some other kind of training for a job. I don't know, maybe is it compared to boot camp? I've never been in the military, so I'm not quite sure. But let's go back to the, the college example. You go to college to get a degree, some knowledge, so with that then you can get a good job and hopefully have a, a, a good life for the rest of your life here on earth. Uh, but going to college involves studying, a lot of studying. And for most people, studying is not fun. And then there are those tests, those dreaded tests. And, of course, classes themselves can be boring and long. It reminds me of when I was a seminary. One of our dear professors, he was, he was a, a good professor, very nice guy, but his classes were not exactly exciting. We had him for the last two classes on Friday, and he promised us, he says, if we don't take the five-minute break between the last two classes, I'll let you out ten minutes early. Oh, that was a long hour and 40 minutes or whatever it was. Ah. <laughs> So tempting to blow off these classes, isn't it? So tempting to, oh, I don't want to study for that test. Let's go out and party. And some of your friends are be tempting you to do that. It's so tempting. Oh, blow off that, that early morning class. The next class isn't until 1. I want to sleep in, so skip that class. But if you do that very often, what's going to happen? You're not going to reach your goal. You're not going to get that degree and that good job. Uh, <clears throat> the same thing can happen during just an, a, a race, uh, a, you know, where you have to concentrate on going ahead, avoid any distractions to the side which can just uh, take you away, from even your attention, just even for a moment. You won't win the race. You won't cross the finish line. And so it is in our spiritual life, and Paul often compares our spiritual life like running a race. Now we do have to remember that there's part of the comparison doesn't follow is that we don't have to earn that wonderful home in heaven. It is there. Christ earned it. He paid for it. He gives it to us as a gift. He came down to this earth for the very purpose of First of all, living a perfect life in our place and then taking our sin on him, taking that sin to the cross, being nailed to that cross and paying the full price for our sin, then rising from the dead. And it says, now, okay, I've earned for you. Here is a gift, forgiveness, peace with God, which gets you into heaven forever. So we have, that is something we have that, that is a pure gift. But there are distractions in this world that can pull us away from that gift. Uh, and sometimes that
gift, that prize in heaven seems so distant. We can't see it. We can't feel it. It seems so far away. And on the other hand, the distractions and things in this world, things that look fun, entertaining, uh, satisfying to do, they're right there with us. Now, some of these things that are distracting to us are sins themselves. That they can separate us from God simply by doing them. And if it's something you know is wrong and you say, God, I don't want to listen to you, I'm going to do this anyway, you've separated yourself from God. You've taken yourself out of that race for the heavenly prize. Sometimes it's a thing of weakness, but if that's allowed to continue, that too can separate you from God. Uh, some of these sins, like the, even the sexual joy promised by someone who is not your spouse. Uh, the, oh, if I could just get my hands on a little bit more money, however I do it, then I can buy this thing, this big TV, this new car that I want. That would be so satisfying. Uh, <clears throat> the fun that your friends are promising you if you just disobey your parents, sneak out, don't do what they say, or break some laws. They promise so much fun if you, if you do these things. These all lead us away from the prize that God has waiting for us. We just have to remember, remind ourselves, we are not there yet. Then there are things that aren't sinful in and of themselves. They can be things that are not wrong, but if they distract from whatever it is you're doing to get to heaven, if they take us away from listening to God's word, to have our faith strengthened, gathering with other Christians, getting our other goals in this life. I remember a time in college when I was you know, playing hearts with my friends. Nothing wrong with that. Every night, several hands, and finally realized this is taking me away from my studies. And, and sometimes we just have to think, think of things like that. Because we have to remember that prize that's ahead. And the fact is, <clears throat> we are not there yet. Keep that in mind. We are not there yet. Then Paul reminds us of something else that's going on here. For as I have often told you before and now tell you again with tears, many live as the enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. Besides the distractions we see around us that our sinful nature attracts us to, uh, there are many in this world around us who are enemies of the cross of Christ. Now, in fact, this really includes every person who is not a believer in Christ. If you're not for us, you're against us. They are enemies of the cross of Christ. They're thinking they are thinking only about earthly things. Now, some of these enemies of the cross cause us more problems than others. Uh, 
they are, they are serving themselves, so they're not serving Christ that we serve. Their God is their appetite, is the way Paul puts it. This is what they are serving. You know, even these unbelievers, when they do outward things that, that look good, they're even beneficial for society and not done out of love of Christ, are self-serving. Um, people, okay, they're motivated to love their children and raise their children in, in a good way so that they have some security in their old age. They work hard at their job, honestly, because, well, they want to get a good life for themselves. Uh, they want to have enough money for, for the good things. Now, Christians do many of the same things that unbelievers do, but for a different reason, for a different purpose. It looks different. We serve Christ. This is what motivates us. Well, we still have a sinful nature which tries to intrude and, and infringes us with self-serving goals in there. But in, in the end, we're still serving Christ. The end looks the same, but the process is different. The satisfaction is different. We look at it, we're serving Christ. The unbeliever does some of these things, and when it doesn't work out like they think, they get despairing because, well, this is not working. I didn't get that life that I thought I was going to get. But we serve Christ, and we let him decide what is best and how things should turn out for us. Uh, now, the actions of some unbelievers, some of those that are serving themselves, are much more harmful to us than others. They could be anything from a despot invading a neighboring country and raining death and destruction on many people to perhaps someone around you who doesn't like what you say and hurts you, maybe physically, maybe emotionally. Now, these are things happen with the enemies of the cross. You just have to remember, there, is, there are evil people in this world. They are ruled by their sinful nature. They're not serving Christ. Now, it's interesting to note that, that Paul's description here meshes with a secular observation about people in this world. And most people, even the ones that are harming you, most people are not against you. They're not trying to harm you. They are trying to advance themselves. People will try to take other people down, make them look smaller so that they look better. Again, they're not against that person in general. They're trying to build themselves up and get ahead because they only have themselves to depend on. Another observation that fits this is you know, some have said that, you know, it's not that hard to become a millionaire if you're willing to step on other people. That's what it takes, stepping on other people. And so that's what happens in this world. Um, now it's true, some of these people can be persuaded to change on the basis of reason 
on the basis of what is called natural law, that is, the law that God has written in everybody's heart that's reflected by conscience, it can have an effect maybe for a time, but it's not the true change. The true change comes when a person recognizes my life, what I've been doing, is terrible. It's a sin against God. It's a sin against mankind. It's harmful. And then turning to Christ and saying, I'm sorry, and Christ says, you're forgiven. You are now at peace with God. Now, this is the change we are looking for in all people, even the most wicked people. Don't you want them to repent of their sins? That's what God wants. Even, you know, like Jeremiah, talking to the people who are threatening him. No, he, like God, wanted them to repent. But... People like this often don't repent, and Paul says, well, you know, what's going to happen to them? <clears throat> uh, first of all, he says they glory in their <clears throat> they glory in their shame. That's a rather a crude way of putting it. They glory in their shame. People who become rich by being ruthless. They're praised in this world, aren't they? People who float uh, God's plan for sexuality. They are revered for their bravery. And we're reading about when Bruce Jenner decided to become Caitlyn Jenner. The people say, oh, so brave he was for going against what God had planned for him. Uh, people that successfully get an abortion where it's not allowed. Oh, that took courage. Or helping a suffering person to commit suicide. Oh, that took courage. They're glorying in their shame. These are all things against God's will. It takes the perspective of people like us who know God's will to understand that it is shame, that they are glorying in their shame. Of course, their end is even worse. Their destiny is destruction. Paul wants to lay this out here. So we realize that what it looks good maybe for a time but their end is destruction. Those who fought God's laws and reject him will spend an eternity of suffering. So we have to remember another truth that we face evil enemies. There are evil people in this world and we face them and they are tempting us and we have to remember that. And now we get to what, where Paul really started, and then he filled in the, the background. We're doing it kind of backwards, but now he says, Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do, for our citizenship is in heaven. This tells us why Paul started uh, this section here like this. 
the people that follow Christ will always be in the minority in the society. Paul wrote this letter to the Christians in Philippi. Philippi, which would be in what is uh, northern Greece now, uh, <coughs> on the uh, um, Aegean Sea, I believe, uh, or close to it. It was not on the... It was a city of that time, 10,000, maybe 15,000 people, which made it a moderate-sized city in its day. The church, the number of Christians in that city, maybe a couple hundred, maybe not even that many. We don't really know. But definitely a small minority in that group. There were lots of people living around them who were enemies of the cross of Christ, living in sin, serving their appetite. So Paul encourages, don't look at them. Follow me. Not because Paul was so good in himself. He had to admit yeah, he still sinned, even when he didn't want to. Uh, but follow him because he was following Christ. He was serving Christ. He says, if you look around, you'll see other people that are doing this. They are worthy of you to follow them too. Uh, God is not their appetite. Uh, their, their, their God is not their appetite. Their God is the one who saved them. And they're eagerly awaiting him to come back. Having others around us to imitate, that's a, that's a good thing. Um, that's why we have things like churches and other Christian groups. We can gather and, and follow an and example of, of other people. Uh, and people, Christians grow in different ways, in different aspects of their faith. They grow, and, and because they have grown in one aspect, it may be an example in that way. Some have grown in their, in their service to Christ, and they are just an example for others to follow in service. Others have grown in their uh, waiting for Christ and, and knowing that he's coming and, and pointing to that. And so we can see these different people in a group, in a Christian group, and, and follow the examples of those that, that set the good examples. Uh, <clears throat> so we have another truth we have is that we do have examples of faith to imitate. So what now? Our Lord wants us to know that we have a prize in heaven, one that is immeasurably more valuable than anything we can get on this earth. It's there. It's waiting for us. But we have to remember we are not there yet. We have to remember we are not there yet. For now, there are distractions. There are temptations all around us. Uh, remember that we are not there yet. There's something good, but we have to avoid those distractions. Additionally, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul felt it important to lay out for us that there are enemies of the cross of Christ around us. Um, that these people will cause us problems as we strive to, to wait for that prize. So we need to remember that we face evil 
enemies around us. But we have a place to flee to. We have a place to go. We have people to turn to in this world while we're facing these things. There are great men of faith like Paul himself, Abraham, the other apostles. Perhaps you have some great people of faith that you know that provide an example for you, a, uh, a pastor, a Christian teacher, uh, a parent who just was a, was a great person of faith. Look to them. Study their life, their life that came out of their faith and, and imitate that. But also, look around you. There are people of faith around you that you can look to for uh, someone to imitate, someone to, to follow that isn't following their appetite as their God, that's following Christ. And on the other hand, remember that as you grow in your faith, you will become an example for people around you. People may be looking to you in certain aspects of their faith. So we, we grow together. We <clears throat> provide an example for each other. We need to follow the example of faith around us. And so this all leads us to Paul's concluding remarks in this text. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. Amen.